The Adam Crowley Show. Axon. 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 Oh no. Oh, it's on the nipple. Axon. 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 He went from the bottom. Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. Final hour of Crowley Show. Tim in today. Let's uh, let's do a, like a hard reset here of everything uh, you might have missed earlier in the show. Because we've kind of been all over the place. Uh, we'll start with hockey. Darren Drager tweeting earlier today that the Penguins are in the mix for Broussard. I think they should make that move. I, and I don't think there should be much debate to it. I think a lot of people out there are misinterpreting an endorsement of getting Broussard as somehow it's a slap in the face to Riley Shane. It ain't. You can compliment Shane in the way he's played and still want another center. They lost two, right? They lost Benino, and they lost Cullen. All right, so Shane's done a good job replacing one of them. Why not get another guy to replace the other one? Particularly if Sidergino should get hurt somewhere along the way, I don't want to see Shane asked to do too much offensively. I think asking him to try to replicate some of the scoring of those two will be asking too much. Honestly, it might be asking too much of Broussard, but I think he's more capable of it. And I would, the only name and the only part of a combination of names I would be leery of when it comes to trading for Derek Broussard to offer out there would be Tristan Jari. Because the Penguins have proven you need more than one goaltender during playoff time to get through a playoff run. Twice now, they needed to dip into the reserves when it comes to goaltending. So I would not give up Jari. I give up Gustafson for down the line, even though Gustafson might be a higher ceiling guy. I wouldn't give up Jari for this year if you're making a move for now in the first place because you might need Jari now. You're not going to need Gustafson this year. Sherry part of it, yeah. Hunwick part of it, yeah. Sprung part of it, yeah. Maybe even Aston Reese, a pick, yes. Not not all those guys, like Hunwick or Sherry, Aston Reese or Sprung. And then the pick, I think, kind of depends on whether or not they take Hunwick and the salary in the first place or how much salary they're willing to absorb. That's what I would do, and then I would get Broussard onto the team. Could also help you out in the power play in a pinch if you needed a two in-game injury or a couple games for a guy who's hurt. So what do you think? I know that everybody's falling in love with Shea and fall in love with him. But I have a mistress on the side. Maybe that could be Broussard. Uh, get them both. You needed four centers before, get four now. 412-922-2874. And if not him, then somebody else. If you can't get him, then Pajot, Placanic, somebody, Bolster. Look, it, this isn't just me saying this. Jim Rutherford made the move for Sheehan. A lot of people said he wasn't good enough. Rutherford took heat for it. It's panned out. He looks good, and he still is saying he wants another one. So listen to the GM that everybody loves to trust so much around here, and rightfully so. And I endorse the move of getting one more guy at the center position. So that's point one. Uh, The other thing we talked about were the pace of play changes in baseball. And we didn't get much feedback on this, but I'll throw it out there again in case you missed it earlier. 
the Major League Baseball front office or the uh, the league itself, while not getting an endorsement from the Players Association, is moving forward with the plan that says that you can only have six mound visits per game. That's about four too many, as far as I'm concerned. You can get by with two or like one per pitcher, tops. You know, this whole thing about only the only time that forces a change is when it's a manager or coach twice in the same inning to go out to talk to the same pitcher. Oh, my God, is that too much? And the reason this is an intriguing topic of debate to me is, like, when it comes to old-timers in baseball, old-timers in baseball love to play the back-in-my-day game. But there's a split on this. So for the old-time baseball community, and I'm getting up there myself now, but I'm talking about you 70-year-olds that like to preface every phone call you make to a sports talk radio station that talks about how you were there when Mazeroski hit the homer. Okay, so if you're one of those, and this is your game, you know, settle a debate for me because there always seems to be a 50-50 split on this. Like The younger baseball crowd says, just make it quicker, make it faster. But there's always a portion of the older baseball community that says something to the effect of, it's never had a clock. It's never had these restrictions. It's always part of the game, and I don't want change. So if you are in that older segment of the baseball population, I want to know where you fall on this because I want a faster game, and I don't care how it happens. So I want fewer mound visits. I want fewer or a fewer, a lesser amount of time between innings. You know, I want fewer warm-up pitches. Things of that nature. How about you? 412-922-2874 there. We also talked about Laura Ingram, who ripped KD and LeBron just before the weekend. And, of course, LeBron then went out, shut up, dribbled, and became the All-Star Game MVP. Um, I think it was stupid what she said from a Fox News anchor to say that athletes shouldn't talk about politics when Fox News has had Kurt Schilling on, Bobby Knight on, Joe Namath on, Chachi was at the Republican National Convention and so was the Duck Dynasty guy. So what, them talking about uh, global warming is fine, but LeBron talking about racial inequality is somehow off the beam, huh? Uh, explain that to me. Like how? How is that okay? I, I know how it's okay. I can answer my own question. You don't want to hear politics if the politics are different than yours. But if they're the same as yours, good for you. Good for you. Way to stand up. Way to stand up for your beliefs. But if it's different, then it's shut up and dribble. All right. Well, then Ted Nugent should shut up and just play cat scratch fever. So four one two nine two 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 eight seven four on that front as well. But you heard Bill Hillgrove uh, with the play-by-play clip of Lev Bell earlier. And uh, I wanted to get to that, too, because Tag Day is tomorrow. That means anytime between tomorrow and March the 6th, the Steelers have the option to place the tag designation on Lev Bell. Now, the franchise tag for Bell is estimated to be at $14.5 million. The club then has until July 16th to negotiate a long-term contract. And this is the survey that I was talking about when Matt Williamson was on with us earlier. Uh, I did this uh, during the show that I did with Dale from the convention center. And it's a Twitter poll, so it should be taken with a mountain of salt. But I posted this while hosting that show on Saturday. And to me, the results are very interesting. About 600 votes, the tally read like this. Franchise Bell, 31%. 
Sign him long-term, 35%. Let him walk in free agency, 34%. So while signing Bell to a long-term deal was viewed as the best option by the public, still 65% are what are presumably Steeler fans don't want to see their team secure the services of a guy who has totaled 4,300-plus yards from scrimmage the last two years beyond this season. That's a tough crowd. Now, the arguments against an extension for Bell have been frequently stated. He gets hurt too much. His skills will erode soon because he's had too many touches. He's been suspended for marijuana use. He was late or absent at times during the Jacksonville playoff week. His quotes and tweets are distractions, and it'll be too expensive against the cap. For some of those reasons, that's why I've stated the best option is to franchise Bell. Uh, Mark Madden echoed that when we did our podcast together for the Trib. You just heard Matt Williamson talking about franchising him. Uh, that's where I fall on this. However, it appears, and the guy, at least uh, when I was doing the show with Paul Zeiss yesterday on the showdown on Channel 2, he said there's a lot of people out there who think franchising him is the way to go. The public doesn't seem to like that idea. And it appears that the team disagrees with me and apparently many of you. Because on Thursday, Kevin Colbert claimed he was optimistic that a deal could be worked out. His quote was, we said to him, look, we have a strong desire to keep you in Pittsburgh for the remainder of your career. Apparently, 65% of us think that's the wrong decision. But if franchising Bell doesn't happen, I'd much rather see the Steelers sign him to an extension than have him leave in free agency. And the reason I say this is because I'd like to work the argument backwards. For the one-third of you who say that they want Bell to leave via free agency, answer this question. What if he had signed that reported five-year, $60 million contract that Pittsburgh offered him last year? Would you be mad? Like, when the Jaguars beat the Steelers in that playoff game, would you have been walking out of Heinz Field saying... Boy, this Steeler team has a lot of problems, and one of them is the contract that Lev signed. We never should have kept that bum. We overpaid that guy. No, you wouldn't. 412-922-2874. You wouldn't be thinking twice about it. Just like all the hand-wringing that was done when Antonio Brown signed a $68 billion deal a year ago, That's been forgotten. No one talks about that negatively anymore because Brown performed well, as Bell would have too, as Bell did for the last 11 regular season games and um, the playoff game. Last 10 because he got held out against Cleveland. You know, Bell would have then been in training camp the whole time, so no absence from Latrobe for us to spend months talking about. That slow start to the season may have been avoided. Never would have happened. Because he wouldn't have been lobbying for a new deal. Okay, the Patriots tweets before the Jacksonville game, yeah, that would have happened. The absence that week of practice, yeah, that probably would have happened. But I could have lived with that in exchange for 2,000 yards from scrimmage. For the don't-pay-lev-rebuild-the-defense crowd, how many new starters do you think Pittsburgh could get for the equivalent of what Bell would cost against the cap? After all, the Steelers, they made a run at Dante Hightower last year. He ended up being an $8.5 million hit in New England. 
The Steelers did sign Joe Hayden. He was cheap a season ago. He'll cost more than $11 million in 2018. Also, it's a weak inside linebacker free agent group, as we just talked about with both Dale and Matt Williamson. These are marginal guys at best. That's Pittsburgh's main defensive hole, given Ryan Shazier's injury. I'd rather see money go to a player the quality of Bell than overpay just for the sake of landing an average inside linebacker. The use-a-back-by-committee approach like the Patriots crowd, well, that committee began, began forming back in 2014. They virtually redshirted James White in 2014 as a draft choice. Then they added Deion Lewis in 2015, and then they sprinkled in Rex Burkhead this year for 10 games. I mean, how often does a Jay Ajahi shake off a tree and into your lap like the Eagles, and you got rid of one of the other guys that they got now in LeGarrette Blunt? And I know Pittsburgh fans are notorious for their patience, right? So they'll be plenty patient to let a three-year rebuilding project for back-by-committee to happen. Come on, who are we fooling here? Ourselves? Giving Bell a big-money extension is distasteful because of his attitude, the cost, the risk. Yet I think seeing him run in a different uniform in 2018 and maybe years beyond... That would be even worse. Now, you could agree or disagree, and I'll have a dialogue with you about it. But that's where I stand. If I'm going to rank my own options, franchise one, long-term extension two, let him walk three. I don't know how you get zero for Lev Bell. I don't know how that could be an option in your head, at least not this year. 412-922-2874. I'll take your thoughts on that, on Broussard on the Laura Ingram thing, on the slowing down of baseball topic. And we're going to hear from Arthur Motes, the Steelers, on a very different Steeler-related topic next. Coming up, Tim Benz in for Adam. Kind of an interesting note here about the NFL and what it's going to cost you to watch it, especially in the wake of all the anthem flap, which might give us an excuse to play the Fergie National Anthem again before the end of the show, which I'm looking forward to. But uh, I'll get to that. There's also a second TV note about the NFL that's worth talking about. We'll get to that before we hit the top of the hour, but... uh. Over the weekend, uh, Dale Lawley and I were on here, as well as on SNR, talking with Arthur Motes. Now, he's a free agent for the Steelers, but we had quite the conversation about uh, the defense for Pittsburgh and what it's going to look like moving forward. The front seven to me is a major talking point, and I'll give you some thoughts after we hear from Arthur, but this is what he had to say at the auto show over the weekend. We were talking before the break a little bit, uh, Arthur, about agents and how they... Um, impact players and yeah. help players. So what is your agent doing now for you as you hit your unrestricted um, window to negotiate with the Steelers and then with uh, other teams potentially? Yeah, so the, the biggest thing that my agent does right now, he's definitely helped out as far as uh, keeping an open line of communication and letting me know as far as what the team is saying from a, uh, from a general manager standpoint to him in regards to contracts and, and what their, excuse me, what their, uh, their mindset is going forward. And then also, he provides that extra avenue with other teams when it gets closer to that uh, open negotiation period. Uh, I believe that's like that 
second weekend in March or whatever. Yeah, March 14th. Yeah, yeah. So when we're able to have that that legal tampering or whatever you yeah. call it, yeah, that that period. Yeah, I thought they come up. I thought they come up 12th, with a more yeah. kitschy phrase. Yeah, 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 they yeah. just sort of let it stay oh, as legal tampering. Legal tampering. Yeah. yeah. So when we get to the legal tampering period, he also provides more information uh, in that regard as well. Because when I went through this three years ago. That was a similar situation. Uh, we talked with the team. They expressed interest in me coming back. But at the same time, it was like, okay, we still got to take time with this and, and see, you know, what are the best offers that, you know, would be good for me and my family. And then literally that weekend going into the legal tampering period was when we started, you know, basically working out these deals. And it ended up getting my deal done with the Steelers the day before free agency opened up. So, and the day before I would have become an unrestricted free agent. So that's pretty much the same type of philosophy that we're taking this year. Um, just keeping that communication going. I expressed with him the things that I want from a contract standpoint, the things I want from a playing time standpoint. And he's expressed the same things as far as, you know, what he feels is best for me. Um, and, and also, I told him what positions I want to play because I do have a lot of positional flexibility as well. So that was something else that we needed to address. And, you know, all these things you know, what the, the, the agent goes through right now as far as, you know, helping me out and, you know, making sure we're in the best situation going forward. So in the middle of the season last year, mm-hmm. after the after the Ryan Shakespeare yeah. injury, they come to you and they say, we need you to play some inside linebacker. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I, I haven't done it in, yeah, in three years, four <laughs> three years, years, but all right. <laughs> uh, take, take us through that whole process and what that was like yeah. for you kind of doing that. Yeah, and, well, um, for me, honestly, it. I'll just say this. Anytime you're transitioning to a different position, it does take time because, you know, you I think for the past three years, well, three and a half years, all I had been focused on was outside linebacker, uh, your movements, your hand, uh, your hands and stuff like that. Also, how you see plays, how you mentally, you know, think of plays and then your verbal communication that goes with it as well. So those are all the things that I had been doing. So when I went to inside linebacker, it definitely, you know, it was a, uh, I won't say it was difficult, but just the mental aspect of it was extremely tough because now you're thinking of everything differently, the way you communicate, the way you play your techniques. And also as an inside linebacker, your first step isn't running downhill right away. You know, it's more of a, let me read it. Let me see what this is. Now let me go. So, you know, it, it definitely was a transition process, but I felt like the, the biggest thing with, uh, with Coach Jerry Yo, he did a great job as far as with the meetings, as far as helping me to get more comfortable in there. And then Vince did a great job also as far as communicating with me in the practice aspect of it and just having somebody that you can watch a little bit and Spence too man he was the guy that I was able to at least see in practice so if it was something that I wasn't comfortable with I could see him do it or see Vince do it and I'm like okay well that's something I should work on that's something I should get you know better at but I look at it like with anything man the more you practice it the better you're going to get at it well I'm glad Dale brought it up this way because I wanted to follow up on the thought with you about you know just the linebackers in general are the outside linebackers that discernible from the inside linebackers anymore? I mean, what, what are the Steelers <laughs> outside linebackers now? Are you guys Man, l- pass listen. rush, go get the quarterback guys, Not or are you all. drop l- listen, guys? Listen, we, we, we are hybrids. That's what I like to call us all. But we, we always take pride in saying that we are true outside linebackers because as a linebacker, your job isn't just to rush the passing. Your job is to cover as well. It seems like now more than ever. Yeah, but w- but we always say when you talk about guys like your Von Millers, your Khalil Max, we say those guys aren't outside linebackers. Those guys are DNs. They rush. They rush 90% of the time. So when you see their sack numbers, that is a different comparison to what we are doing when you think of a guy like TJ, right? You think about Bud. You look at the stats at how much they drop versus how much those guys who get into 10-plus sacks are dropping, and it's night and day. Well, what was the number this year, Dale? It was you guys set the sack record at 56, uh-huh. but the outside linebacker is yeah, only outside, at 17. Exactly. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And you think about that, but it's just 
we are asked to do a lot more from a cover standpoint, and, and that's just how this defense is. There's nothing wrong with it. As you can see, you can still have the same success from a, a total stack, a total sack standpoint. But then you think about a Jacksonville and how they did their sacks, right? Because they were number two in the league, but they were rushing mainly four guys, you know, and all four of them had their hand in the ground. So it's multiple ways to get sacks, but that's just how our defense is, and I feel like that's the personnel that we have for this team right now. Now, has that changed in your four years here? Did that change? Absolutely. Yeah, yes. It, it definitely changed up. I felt like my first year here with LeBeau, it was getting to that point where we were dropping more, but it wasn't all the way how it is now. Now we are legit. Like, we cover. You know, and we always, anytime we're in coverage, we like to, you know, think of different DBs that we want to, you know, emulate. So some of us are like, oh, I'm... I'm Darrell Rivas. I'm Joe Hayden. I'm, I'm Richard Sherman. <laughs> and, and we always are like in their prime, though. It's, it's always that person in their prime because you got to be locked down. So it's plenty of times that, you know, over these, you know, especially these last three years, we started covering more than that's what we all went to. And we always joke about it. But it is what it is. I mean, that's just how this game is for us in, in Pittsburgh in particular. So, so would you say that the days of an outside linebacker in the Steelers scheme mm -hmm. as it is, if it, if it stays that uh -huh. way? Are the days of, of double-digit sacks out of the outside linebackers, well, are those gone? I will say this. I don't want to say they're gone because you look at a guy like TJ, right? What did he end up with? Seven? Seven, seven yeah. Yeah, he had seven, right? But we all, as far as watching the film, felt like he still had some more that he could have got. And then that's not counting if you have a half anywhere, you know, any half sacks and stuff like that. Because we all said over the years, half sacks kill you. You know, if you, if you take away the halves and they're all holes, well, hey, those fours become sixes and sevens. Those sevens become tens and elevens and things like that. So, you know, I, I don't want to say that it's over, but I will say it is more difficult. And you just have to operate a lot more efficient when you're rushing. I feel like when you rush, you know, 80, 90 percent of the game, you can have bad rushes. You can, you know, have some rushes where that wasn't particularly your best rush. And it's OK because you know you're going to get another three, four or five on that same drive with us. It's like, hey, man, you might only get two rushes on this series of eight plays. So you better make sure they are top notch, you know, and hope it's not play action. So <laughs> uh, with that being said, then, with that being the case, unless we've discussed, you've got eight years under your belt mm -hmm. now and the position is morphing. Yeah. Are you now more apt to stay in Pittsburgh? Because of what they're asking the linebackers to do, like, is it harder at going, pushing your thirties to get up the field and be explosive, getting easy, after the quarterback? Easy. We, we talked about this thirty thing now. Thirties <laughs> didn't twenty, baby. Don't, don't you don't you knock on pushing the thirties? You said that like was a back. He's pushing his thirties, baby. So this is a young thirty though. But does it does it help you if you're if you're going to be like you said a hybrid? Does well, that does that fit your skill set more? I, I would say this, right? I definitely feel that. I have a skill set that is really geared toward being that hybrid as far as, you know, rushing sometimes, but also having that ability to cover. Would I love to go to a scheme where you rush all the time and you get crazy sack numbers? Yes. Who what? Who wouldn't want to? That's, you know, takes me back to what I did in college. But at the end of the day, I feel like I don't want to short myself as far as saying that I can only do one thing. And if you're only rushing, I feel like that takes away from the other things that I do well. So I personally love the whole aspect of having to be versatile, having to do multiple things. So I'll just leave it at that. That's my most politically <laughs> correct answer. People need to realize you were, uh, unlike, say, TJ, who, uh -huh. who's an out, who was a linebacker right. in college. No, I was, I was a DN. You were a DN. Absolutely. Yes, indeed, man. And over the years, I had to learn to cover it. When I was playing inside linebacker in Buffalo, you had to learn to cover it. And that was just, you know, what it was. And from there, that helped me in regards to when I came here and they started asking the linebackers to rush and cover. I was more, I felt like ahead of the curve in that regard. When it 
applies to the conversation about being a good coverage linebacker. Obviously, Ryan Shazier is really good oh, yeah, at that. So, Absolutely. Is that why the defense struggled as much as it did down the stretch? Because so much of what you guys are morphing into was incumbent on him being the best at that position. Yeah, well, you got to think about this, man. Anytime you lose an all-pro player like Ryan is, that's going to be a blow to any team. That's I always said us losing Ryan on defense would have been the equivalent of the offense losing Ben. He is the quarterback of the defense. He makes all the calls. He's the guy who makes those clutch plays. He's that guy. You know, anytime it was a matchup that we needed, whether it was a tight end or an elite-level running back, hey, Shay, you got him. You know, you take that guy, and we're not worried about him no more. So when you lose that type of that, that caliber player, yes, all the guys around are going to be affected by that. When you think about the passer standpoint, okay, well, now, hey, you might not have that extra second to rush. you got to beat it now. When you think about the back end from a, a secondary coverage standpoint, okay, hey, man, Shay, he, he, sometimes he's rushing, sometimes he's dropping. But when you don't have that guy, now everybody is a little more stressed. The communication changes because now instead of just having that one guy who makes all the calls, now you got to have a new guy uh, doing more talking. Now you have to have, okay, how does he communicate under under duress? Because it's different in practice when, you know, it's a cool, chill setting versus when mm -hmm. it's under the lights and it counts. So all those things factor in. So I felt like us losing him, that definitely, you know, had a major impact on us. But I feel like we still did the best that we could do for the situation. It wasn't like we lost him in training camp and you still have all year to, to get it back. We lost him and it was, what, six games left? And those six games were like, hey, we got to have it. We got to win right now. Prime time, big time opponents. Now we're in the playoffs. So, I mean, it was just a crazy situation. To, to, to steal a, a term from chess, he was kind of like your queen. In term, yeah, yeah. A, a player, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. A player, he could do it all. No question. moving in every direction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you take that out of the equation, you can still win. Yes, but is it gonna, is it going to be a lot more difficult? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so were we winning? Yes. Could it have been way better? Absolutely. If we had our, all our pieces, but we were still getting the job done. And at the end of the day, we felt like we still we still had ourselves to a higher expectation, and we did not get the job done defensively. You know, and that was the the biggest thing. Even though we lost him, we weren't changing our expectations. We understood that. Hey, yes, things are going to be different, but we still have to have this same type of mentality of being a top defense, and we fell short. How much have you spoken with him since he has been released from the hospital, and where do you think he is in his oh, recovery? Oh, man, L listen, all of us talk daily. I mean, the group chat is amazing. Shout out to technology. <laughs> and then also, man, we always try to just make sure that we're seeing him at least once a week to to have that that personal interaction, man, that face-to-face that -face and things like that, just being around him and his family. Um, I feel like, you know, that that has definitely helped him out a lot as far as, you know, his rehab and this, this long road that's coming back from that. And also, I feel like it helped us out a lot too, man, because anytime you see somebody go down like that, I mean, it freaks you out. Totally freaks you out. Well, yeah, and in the media, I know Dale and I kind of struggle with this anytime the topic comes up. It's hard for us to, and we try our best, to differentiate between his goals of just health and recovery versus mm -hmm. the goal of him playing again. Exactly. And we try to be respectful of mm -hmm. that. And I think the fans of the media largely around here have done a good job yeah, in that context. Yeah, I will say that. They have. But I, I will ask you, does he think of it that way? Is he thinking in terms of one big swath, my recovery is coming back as a national football player, or does he compartmentalize as well? Well, I feel like he definitely has the, the, the big goal of coming back. But at the same time, he does compartmentalize because it's, it's steps. You saw where he talks about, you know, this is a major milestone for me when he was able to, you know, check out of the hospital. And then or, or the, the milestone before that when he was able to first come to a practice. You know, so he has all these little miniature milestones that he's accomplishing right now in terms of reaching I mean, all of these are geared towards reaching his major goal, which is the comeback. And, you know, ultimately, 
that's him that's his his personal views on it but at the end of the day we're going to support him regardless of if he wants to come back if he doesn't whatever the capacity is we're going to be here for him because he's our brother had you ever had to deal with a situation like that as a player before no not at all and that's why i felt like it was just so unique because you've seen guys tear acls you've seen guys break legs you've seen guys be concussed i've never seen a guy lay there and not be able to move his legs and that was like scary because you always hear about yes that's like the the ultimate hey I know ultimate worst case scenario, you can potentially be paralyzed by playing this game. Because you can't think about that. But you don't the, think about it, right? Right. And, and I've been playing these games since I was, what, four, four going on five years old? Never been in a stadium where I've seen that. Have I heard of this happening? Yeah, the guy from Rutgers. You think about even in Buffalo, uh, the guy Everett, I forgot his last name, but he was another guy who had went through a, a traumatic injury. Was I ever in a stadium where any of that happened? No. Well, yeah, so the unique part there, of it was it was crazy. Like I've, I've seen, I was in the stadium, I was 25 feet away from uh, Talaferro from oh, Penn wow, State yeah, when uh -huh. he got it because I was working in Columbus back okay. then covering Ohio State. I was right there. Um, so I have seen something like that in person. But I've never seen it where the guy's getting carted off and he's got full movement from the neck yeah. up. Or like from the like the chest it's up. Just, it was crazy. Like man. that was the strange thing. Like, I've seen guys, yeah. you know, the full neck brace and everything, right. but for him to have full movement atop yeah. and then nothing down well, below and, was strange. And, and that's my thing. So it's like my whole thought process is this, right? I've seen the full cart off, but then you get the thumbs up, so it's like Okay, he's a little stinger, a little numbness. He'll be fine. That's the biggest thing is more of a yeah. safety precaution. When you see a guy moving his arms and you can clearly see the panic on his face because his legs aren't moving, that well, was, that's yeah. totally different. Now yeah. it's like, oh, this could be like for real. And it's a teammate. Yeah. It's somebody that you've, no you've question. worked out you with. Think and, that, that's, yeah. and that's position group. That's like a linebacker. Like we, we are extremely close. You think about how much time we spend together. So to see that, it definitely it, – it, it's a reality check, man, because it puts it in perspective like, okay, now – you playing this game, but hey, how much more do you want to risk that? How much more do you want to take that chance? Because every time you go on the field, I mean, as much as we we talk about, oh, it's 100% injury risk and things like that, everybody kind of overlooks that side of it where, yeah, you could really get messed up from this game. And, and a lot of people overlook that from a fan standpoint. You know, they, they just get numb to it because they're so used to guys, yo, oh, he just tore ACL. It's cool. He just hurt an ankle. He's cool. Like, no, it's still your body, man. Like, it changes you. So it really just kind of, like, made all of us kind of look back at it like, all right, man, how do y'all feel about this? How much how much more or how much longer are you going to play this game and take that chance? I mean, everybody had to reevaluate themselves in that regard. All right, so thanks to Arthur Modes. Hopefully he sticks around from our standpoint here in the media. There's none better to talk to than Arthur. You can carry a conversation. And uh, it was good talking to him for an hour. And just to reiterate the point, I mean, on paper – the Steelers looked fantastic defensively this year. They finished in the top 10 when it comes to overall yardage allowed, stopping the run, stopping the pass, opposing point totals. The stats suggest that the unit is better than what it is because per attempt, they were 27th against the run and 23rd against the pass. The biggest problem is that the Steelers really don't know what they are in defense anymore, and that's what I was talking about with Moats and the guys in the front seven. That club record for 56 sacks, that's great, but the outside linebackers only had 17. The previous low watermark in the post-Chuck Knoll era collectively by that position was 19 back in 2014. So that's pretty weak. And what are the Steelers' outside linebackers supposed to be, drop and cover guys or pass rush guys? You know, the way that T.J. Watt was deployed, the way that Bud Dupree was deployed, coupled with their inability to figure out a role for James Harrison, suggests the Steelers don't even know the answer to that question. 
Tuitt and Hayward are versatile and talented, but are they two-gap run stuffers or up-the-field pass rush specialists? Being pretty good at both is nice, but what would help even better, though, is if Pittsburgh had players that were elite at one or the other as well. Specialists. Now, Art Rudy II had a point. It's harder now than ever to play defense in the NFL, and the Steelers are better at it than most. But to seek comfort in comparing what his club was to what other playoff teams did or didn't do on that side of the ball, I think that's a mistake. And you can agree or disagree before the top of the hour. 412-922-2874. On the topic of the NFL, uh, boy, it's going to be expensive to watch if you have direct TV. I'll give the details when we come back. And uh, somebody that you might be seeing on TV in the near future for your football games. That coming up, too, before we're done. Tim Ben's in for Adam. Tom, I was very disappointed to learn that you haven't seen The Naked Gun. Sorry. I thought you and I were going to be friends. I thought this was going to work out all week. Now I'm a little concerned. Any time over Fergie. I will take that any time over Fergie. I haven't seen the movie, but that was hysterical. I could listen to that any time, too. Um, so at the end, he then saves the queen from Reggie Jackson assassinating her. Yeah. So, and, and that I believe is without OJ. I think OJ has been hospitalized by that point in the movie. You know, OJ Simpson's in the naked gun, right? You didn't know that? No. Nordberg. You didn't know that? No. So all those times with Wolfley and I, when we were doing the show over the South side and make a Nordberg reference from the naked gun, it was just charitable laughs. It just, it went over your head and you had no idea. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, what do you watch television on? Do you have like Apple TV or cable TV or do you have Dish? What do you have? I have a PlayStation 4, so I stream it on there. Okay, well, what does that mean for old people like me that just still have cable? Like, does that come, th- what, what, what is your provider? They, uh, have an app called PlayStation View. Okay. I'm not sure where they have a deal with. How much does it cost? Cable. What was that? How much does it cost? It's like 30 bucks a month for the cheapest version. It's like 30 bucks versions. for, so what do you get for $30? Uh, like basic. 15 to 30 channels, I think. So do you get, like, KDKA? Do you get yeah. TA? Okay, so you get your basic area TV stations. Yeah. And do you get ESPN? Yeah, you'll get that, like TNT, TBS, all those. Okay, for 30 bucks, huh? It's not bad. I might have to go that route. Get a PlayStation. What kind of ESPN channels do you get? Uh, I think just one and two. Just one and two. Yeah. All right. You could so. pay more and get you and the other ones, yeah? too. Is it almost per, like, per station almost? Uh, what do they do package-wise? I'm not sure about that, actually. Okay, the reason I ask is, now you're big, how big of an NFL fan are you? Oh, huge. Huge. Okay, so like, when you get over your pit depression from the day before, 
you do continue to watch football the next day? Yes, I do. All right. Are you willing to pay nearly $400 for the NFL Sunday ticket max, which includes the Red Zone channel on DirecTV? I think I'll pass on that one. 400 bucks is what they're asking for right now. That seems a little steep to me, especially since in the wake of the anthem protest, speaking of the anthem, they were actually giving refunds to people, and they're losing subscribers. Now they're increasing the price to the basic NFL package of 293 bucks, And then it'll go up another 100 bucks if you want the red zone. I am not as enamored of the red zone as most people are. I, I, that doesn't turn me on as much as it does for a lot of people. Now, if I told you Peyton Manning was going to be in the broadcast booth for either Thursday night games or for Monday night football, what would you say then, Tom? I like Peyton. I'd accept it. I don't think he'd be any good. Really? I don't. I think he would be great in an analyst role. I don't think he'd ever challenge anybody in either role. I have no idea if he could be quick thinking and off the cuff like we think he can be without a script. I think he's studious. I think he's prepared. I think he has nuance and subtlety when he knows what's coming. But I don't think he would just be able to spit it out and be as funny or engaging. I think he'd just be politically correct all the time. Now, they're saying he might take over the Thursday night color guy role on Fox, or he may go and take over for Gruden. That could be a possibility as well. But that will not get you up to $400 a month for DirecTV? Still going to pass. Yeah, me too. Peyton? Sorry, lick all the Oreos you want, hang out with Brad Paisley for as long as you want. You're not getting 400 bucks out of my pocket. All right, I'll be back tomorrow for Adam. Thanks for listening.